Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yash, the number 2,453. Today we're going racing with an iconic brand, iconic team, Team Tyrrell, and an author who's written a very extensive book about the history of Tyrrell and a whole lot more. Be prepared and buckle up to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. So, in the new year, my first trip across the pond to the UK, I'm in uh, Hertfordshire, England, with a very special returning guest by the name of Richard Jenkins. Richard, welcome back to Cars Yeah. Happy New Year. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Pretty much, Mark. Thank you for having me on again. Happy New Year. Yeah, here we go into 2024. Boy, that went by fast and almost as fast as what we're going to be talking about today, and that is the world of racing, specifically Tyrrell. So I want to start off by giving you a proper introduction, but I'm wondering before I do, is there anything that maybe people don't know about you, Richard, that uh, has changed since the last time you are on the show, which we were just starting in the depths of that terrible thing called COVID in April of 2020. Thank goodness we're out of that. What's uh, what's maybe going on in your life these days? It's In some ways, it's pretty much the same. Uh, I still don't, I still do this for a hobby, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, a very enjoyable hobby. The kids are three years older. We have a little dog, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yes, the, the world's changed. Uh, it's not so, it's great for human um, relationships. But it's not so good for authors because COVID was a dream for authors because you could pin down people because they had no chance to escape. So, he worked for podcasters too. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, obviously I don't want to go back to COVID, but no. I do sometimes just think when I'm trying to get hold of somebody, it's, you know, I wish we had just had COVID lockdown for one day, but hey. Without the virus, that's the way to do it. Well, let me give you an introduction because we're talking about something new this time. Richard Jenkins has been involved in motor racing research for over 20 years. The first outlet for his work was the website oldracingcars.com, where his Where Are They Now section presented several thousand profiles of racing drivers. His first book, which we talked about when he was on the show before, Richie Genther, Motor Racing's Free Thinker, was published back in 2020. What a wonderful book that was if you listeners missed my talk with Richard on that book you can go back and find it that was show number let me think if my brain is working properly here show number 1526 in April of 2020 and uh, his second biography Mike Spence out of the shadows he turned his attention to the history of the team rather than the man and that trend continues to what we're going to be talking about today his newest book a comprehensive and I mean comprehensive history of the Tyrrell team titled Tyrrell the story of the Tyrrell Racing Organization. The forward is by Sir Jackie Stewart, who drove, of course, for Tyrrell for many years, and is published by our friends at Evro. We'll be back in just a moment, but a word from our sponsor, so buckle up. This is going to be a wild ride, and we'll be right back. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented 
and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkages about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. Are you ready to take charge of your financial future? then let me introduce you to Capitalize Your Finances. It's an online course designed to empower you with the knowledge and tools for mastering your money. This course will help you lay out the ins and outs of budgeting, the importance of emergency funds, investing strategies, and how to plan for a secure retirement. All this presented by financial planner Chris Paniotu. Chris has developed this course to help you effectively navigate your world of finance, with confidence. Stop stressing about money and start taking control. Enroll in Capitalize Your Finance online course today and pave your way to financial success. To learn more, go to capitalizepodcast.com slash courses, or better yet, go to the Cars yeah website show notes page for today's show and click on the link under Capitalize Your Finances. You'll be glad you did. Do it today. 20, 50, or 100 years from now, Will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, is accomplishing this goal is through workforce development initiatives. The RPM Apprenticeship Program enables the next generation of artisans to earn a living while they learn the craft of restoring and preserving these vehicles directly from industry professionals. The Endangered Skills Program documents the process of masters training future craftspeople on a variety of critical skills in danger of being lost forever. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah. So this book, I'll start by saying I can avoid my gym membership and just do curls with this book, Richard, because this thing is massive. I mean massive. It's huge. It goes so deep. So I wanted to start by asking, taking on this this book and this amazing chapter in racing with Ken Tyrrell and his team, how did that all come about? Well, ironically, it, it was a little bit by accident. So as you mentioned, Richard Gimfer did remarkably well, far better than I ever thought. Uh, it won a, quite a few awards here in Britain, and Evro got in touch with me. I got in touch with them, and we kind of bounced of, around a few ideas. They decided not to go for any of my ideas, which, which, oh, <laughs> <uh-oh>. <laughs> you know, is is fine because they obviously got the commercial nails. But what we batted it back a little bit, and then we both hit on the fact that Tyrrell has never had a full history done about them they've there's been three or four books there's been two books about ken tyrrell about 20 years ago and 
back in 1974, Doug Nye, who I'm sure uh, your listeners will be familiar with, yep. he wrote a book called The Grand Prix Tyrrells, and that's it. Uh, there's been nothing ever since. There's been nothing on uh, the P34, which is one of the most iconic cars, and we'll probably talk about that briefly. And there's been nothing to cover the likes of, you know, and many Americans that raced there, Danny Sullivan, Eddie Cheever, people that have gone on, Derek Daly, obviously is very famous in America now as well. Nothing covered their era. So we thought, yeah, we'll give it a go. Got in touch with Ken's son, Bob, and said, first of all, are you happy for us to do this? Uh, there's no objections or anything? No, no, that's fine. And uh, is there anything else going along with Tyrrell? Because obviously we don't want to spend time writing books and then find someone else is doing it. He gave the green light and the rest is history. Well, and history you brought to life again, which is absolutely spectacular. This time span, now correct me if I've got from 1960 basically to 1998. Do I have my years right? Yes, bang on. Yeah, I mean, that is a long period of time. And most of the people, when you think of Tyrrell, you think of the wonderful elf livery, um, sometimes the others, but, you know, the blue cars that stand out. But you go all the way back to when Ken started racing and his original start with Cooper, he was a race car driver driving yes. a Cooper, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people forget this, but um, probably because of passage of time. But he was all right. Um, he drove in Formula 3. Um, he had a trial with Aston Martin. Um, obviously, Aston Martin and the many guys is over the years. But he was going to be in their sports car team for Le Mans. And he was being selected. He was that good. Um, but then a certain person called Mr. S. Moss um decided to well no i say decided to leave mercedes had to leave mercedes because of the le mans disaster and um everybody moved down one and ken was sick and obviously there was a, a free three two car teams so he became seventh and sterling became first and he never actually got the drive for aston martin but that shows he was actually a half decent driver but obviously he realized um people like bruce mclaren came along and he thought no, do you know what? I think I'm getting more enjoyment out of managing them than driving against them. Well, it's pretty amazing when you think about that, how things in time can create all sorts of other opportunities, which, of course, for him was building and developing a racing team over many years. And I know the forward in your book is by Sir Jackie Stewart. I would assume you spent a lot of time talking to him about this book? In some ways, yes. But my interviews with Sir Jackie were relatively short because... Obviously, Sir Jackie has spoken about Tyrrell a lot. And it's it's obvious with the kind of golden era of Tyrrell, if you like. Most Tyrrell fans come from that era, uh, there or thereabouts, you know, when they were winning everything. That's, that's natural. So he'd written a lot in his autobiographies, in the Tyrrell books, in the magazines, etc. There wasn't actually that much that I needed from him, but I hadn't heard before. But we still had a good, I think it was a good hour and a half. He was in Switzerland at the time. And um, there were still a few nuggets that uh, he liked. But he's, he's always been supportive of uh, the whole process because obviously it reminds him of a very, very fun time in his life. Well, absolutely. When Ken started the team and decided to build a team, 
what were the main re- I mean, other than well you got bumped down one notch you're not going to be driving what was the the basics for the beginning of his team and and deciding to tackle something that is very challenging well i think mrs tyrrell had a little bit of say in it uh and because ken quite soon after that had a crash at goodwood uh he obviously had quite protruding teeth anyway but then he um, banged them up um so she said right that's it and they were obviously a very close couple so i think that was very much a wise decision from him um he didn't quite go alone initially um in 1958 he went with another chap called alan brown who used to race in formula one or grand prix i should say um and another chap but it was quite soon uh, but ken was the driving force with it with the organizers um doing the entries getting the mechanics etc so the other two stood by and ken kind of really went from there but he that was his strength his organization and it was literally the Tyrrell racing organization was just him nora his wife uh his oldest son uh, as the kind of lap charter, I mean, you know, he was about 15 at the time, uh, and two mechanics. And that was it. That was the basis of the organization. Hard to <laughs> imagine when you look at teams today that have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a bygone world. You know, you couldn't do that. But, you know, just little stories like little teams like that, and many, many teams were similar to that in the 1960s, you know. But what he tried to do and did very well was employ the best possible people that he could. And they did a fantastic job in Formula Junior and uh, Formula 3. Well, absolutely. And when you think about people, you mentioned a few of them, but I'm going to rattle off some names here that I didn't realize all these people drove for Ken. Tony Maggs, uh, John Love, Dennis Hulme, Peter Proctor, of course, Jackie Stewart, Chris Amon, Bob Bondurant. John Surtees, Jackie Ix, Patrick DePier, Jody Schechter, Derek Daly, Danny Sullivan, Martin Brundle, and there the list goes on and on and on. What was it about Ken and his ability to attract all of these names? I think because they knew, the majority of them, they knew that Ken would give them the time. I think the Jackie Stewart pool and the relationship that Ken had with Jackie was a pull thereafter for anybody else. Um, you know, he's worked with some of the best and he can develop me in the way, but uh, he worked with Jackie. Um, the guys at the start, I mean, you mentioned Chris Amon, Peter Revson was another one. Oh, yes. yeah. Very briefly. But they liked working for Ken, like driving for Ken, I should say, because the cars were well organized, the cars were well prepared. They knew that potentially they, if they drove well, they would win or, you know, they could show their uh, prowess. Um, then in, say, 1979 onwards, you know, we mentioned Danny Sullivan, um, Daly, uh, Michele Alberetto as well. That was sort of uh, dealt with the budget because Ken didn't want to put what he would call, what we call, I suppose, rent drivers in. He wanted to try and give talent a go, but he couldn't afford the best, like, you know, Senna, Prost, all that sort of thing. So he tried to go for people that he felt would be low cost, but high reward. They would get in the pints and they would push Tyrrell back up. Um, and, you know, Brundle, 
Alesi, people like Amitasalo, to use somebody more recently, uh, comparatively. They came along with kind of low expectations, but exceeded them and then went on to other things. It's pretty amazing. And what comes to mind when you think about that is the movie Moneyball, where that movie's approach to baseball was was a very unique approach. It sounds like Ken had a very methodical business mind about how to build this team and keep it going if he didn't have the money, which is always the challenge in every kind of racing since the beginning of time is is money. But he had a he had a really unique approach to this thing. And I'll tell you listeners, this thing is 480 pages. It is huge. It goes so in depth and the history I always ask a question about challenges. What were some of the biggest challenges that you had putting the book together? And then I'd love for you to share after you've learned so much, what was the biggest challenge Ken ever faced with his team? Oh, let me start with Ken first. Okay. <laughs> um, after the 84, where Tyrrell thrown out the Formula One championship and excluded for the rest of the season uh, for what the FIA and everybody, it's a long story, which we won't go into too much depth, but obviously it's in the book, blah, blah, blah. But in short, Tyrrell were thought to be using illegal fuel and they were thrown out of the championship. And aside from all the stigma with that, there was obviously the loss of earnings, the loss of um, travel money, so on and so on and so on. And obviously no sponsor wanted to touch anybody, but was branded as a cheat. Ken managed to eventually turn that round, obviously, you know, because they carried on for another 13 years in racing. But he also managed to fight it in the courts to change the stigma. Some people will still say Tyrrell cheated, I try to put the, you know, both sides of the story to to be fair. But I think by and large, they were victims of uh, political moves rather than Mm. actually breaking them. So that was definitely his biggest challenge. I think mine was there was a certain point in the process. I I started with, very briefly again, I started with the mechanics first. Um, I interviewed the mechanics for Tyrrell, you know, names that people won't have heard of. Um, because they'd never had their story told. It's always been really from the driver perspective or Kent. And that went very well. They all talked to each other and there was a select group. But then it was moving from the mechanics to drivers and some of the drivers pick up the phone. Yeah, no problem at all. Some of the drivers were really, really difficult. And it's not, we're not British. Um, I, I, sorry, I had to stop being British. Uh, <laughs> okay. What I mean is, you know, uh, look, uh, do you mind awfully, sir, blah, blah, blah. It was a case of, look, I need to speak to you. This is the only time this is ever going to happen. Speak to me. And mm. lo and behold, I think people must have talked to each other. And we ended up getting, well, I ended up getting 32 out of 40 there were only 40 drivers alive at the start of the process mm-hmm. and i've got 32 of them wow well it's interesting you say that i had to stop being british was it just you had to maybe i used the uh, example of get your dirt under your fingernails and get into the garage and start working was it that kind of approach i think so. i mean with you know people jo- jody Schechter, i'm going to use one example jody was difficult. Jody can be very difficult. Um, it really depends what kind of mood he's woken up in. Um, but he's to the point. 
and you know he's got a business to run i'm not going to make any money by speaking to somebody about something 50 years ago i i get that but um you know it's a bit of basically what i said to jody is look i've spoken to your brother in in chapter who, who drove a private tour i've spoken to this guy i've spoken to this guy i've spoken to this guy you're the only one but hasn't um helped that a little bit <laughs> said anything. Yeah. and you, you find actually that was probably the key but when you tell them who you have spoken to and say right do you want your voice do you want your side of the story okay uh right okay yes because if he's talking then I want to put my side forward. So in the end, you just you just go to driver ego and say A, A and B have given their side of the story. What do you want to say? So it becomes easy after that. But why why have you hit a, a nerve for me here, Richard? When I started this podcast, most people I called, even people I knew, said, "What's a podcast?" Now this was. Over 10 years ago, there weren't many podcasts around. But after I'd gotten up to 250, 300, 500 guests, then I started getting calls going, hey, how come you haven't called me to be on your show? So you're right. There's a a power in numbers there and people that are participated. So I'm glad you got his part of the story because no doubt it was unique and different. You know, I always ask about a special vehicle. If you could look at, and you, you alluded to a car at the beginning of our talk here, one Tyrrell car that really stood out for you in this expansive racing period for the team, which car would it be? Well, I'm actually not going to go for the car, but most people think I'm going to go for. Okay. Uh, the P34 is the, the most famous by, by far. I'm actually going to go for the lesser known uh, 019, which is the car that was used in 1990. Um, and the reason for that is Tyrrell were known for their innovation, obviously six-wheeler, and uh, they used fan cars. Uh, Jim Hall and Chaparral were the first, but Tyrrell were the first Formula One team to try it. And they tried all sorts of other things, but it didn't all stick. Um, But the 019 had what, uh, and it's on the front cover, um, those books, can see the front cover of the book it's it's on the front cover uh john lazy is on the front and it's a raised nose uh and they were the first team to come up with the raised nose and essentially more or less that design has stayed in not just formula one but motorsport thereafter uh is is we become used to seeing indycar and formula e and all that sort of thing with the raised nose but it's just commonplace now and I think that they gave they didn't have that much of a budget either. So to come up with that idea, to give it a go, and then to transform motorsport thereafter, I think that's a really, really special car. Um, didn't quite have the success for Tyrrell, but they should have got from it. But, you know, like I say, the, the legacy is there forever, really. Well, for you listeners, again, this is the kind of in-depthness that uh, Richard gets into in this book. It's just you learn things that you go, what? I, I didn't. Wow. I didn't know that. And this is a great example. Uh, yeah. When you look at all the cars past that point. OK, I see that design aspect. Wow. Pretty, pretty innovative uh, for the time. They probably got some heads and eyes rolling at the time. But later on, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not so. So. You know that I play a little game here called Car Psychologist, but I'm going to twist this up for you, Richard. I always ask people if they were manifest as a car, what would they be? In this case, I'm going to have you pick a vehicle. When you think of all the cars that Ken and the team ran, which one 
tugs at your heart the most? Um, it's, I would probably go uh, emotionally, perhaps, for the, the 001, which is the very first Tyrrell Tyrrell car, because, again, uh, some people may not remember, but Ken ran Coopers and Matra and stuff like that. And then 1970, he went alone with his own car. And I am quite close to it, really, because it was at the launch. We launched in uh, Brooklands in July and a much nicer weather than we've currently got in the UK. Um, <laughs> Here, too, and, in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was just so nice to the, the history is, is literally coming from that car, because without that car, nothing else would have followed. And if that hadn't been, it only did a few races before um, the genesis of 02 and 03, which basically came from 01. Um, so I think it only had about four or five races, didn't win anything, but it was the start. Um, and it was very special for it to be at the launch. Um, I've also got, somebody was very kind and uh, gave me a part from the original 001, really? which is in. I wouldn't say study, but uh, it's it's hanging up uh, on the wall as a reminder. So I think that that 001 will probably be with me more. The reason I also say that is aside from the emotional part of view, it's it was the precursor to starting into the unknown. Um, it did well, and that was kind of what I did with Gimfer. Um, you know, with Richard Ginford book, I just put a book together. I, I did the best I could. I uh, didn't think it would do as well as it did. And that, I suppose, is what happened with the 001. And then, obviously, uh, Tyrrell went on to bigger and better things. And certainly I did with Ginford Spence and now uh, Tyrrell. What was the most surprising thing you learned about Ken that you had no idea before you got into this book? I would say the with Ken specifically, I think it was actually how good he was as a driver but also the other big thing that did make me go wow i kind of knew it in the background but he kept that timber he was a businessman first uh which which is why they lasted for so long but he was still running a timber merchant because that, that was his job until whilst they were still winning championships 71 72 73 he still had the timber uh merchant and he only kind of stopped in the uh, late seven, um, mid seventies. Wow. Yeah, that just makes you think. Hang on a minute. You know, he's he's just gone. He's co commissioned Derek Garner to do his own car. He's running on a small team, but Monday to Thursday, he's he's still doing the timber merchant first and <laughs> fourth. Actually, it's, it's just, you think it's, you can't see. You know, uh, even back Enzo Ferrari doing another job at that time or. Uh, uh, Teddy Mayer, I'm just trying to think of all the others. Uh, Colin Chapman, he, he wouldn't have done that. Um, and then there's Ken still doing it. Um, wow. But, um, yeah, you know, that just gave me kind of extra respect for Ken. But, I, you know, doing this job, um, doing the writing on top of trying to do a full uh, full-time job, which is what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard work. Um, so you have my respect for doing that. 
Well, I was going to say, he sounds a little bit about a guy that I'm talking to today, today named Richard Jenkins and what he's been doing. So my hat's off to you. Yeah. You know, you the last few books you've done have really taken deep dives into the team versus the individual. And I'm wondering, is that something you see doing more of in the future for you? Is that a lot more interesting for you as an author, learning more about all that background stuff than just talking about the person? It is now. I, I've always been an individual. Uh, sorry, I've always been a driver fan more than a team fan, traditionally, or I was before this. And that was partly because I'm not that technical, although it doesn't show in the book. I mean, I, I copy and get good advice, but I'm not what you would call, you know, a nuts and bolts man. I'm almost, a, I'm always a people man. And what I realised by doing the process of this book is actually the team is made up of so many individuals, but actually you get a wider scope of it. And I enjoyed that process more because you're delving not only into the drivers, but you're delving into Ken, but you're delving into the designers, but they had uh, people, you know, like Harvey Potterswaite and Derek Gardner, Morris Philippe. And, and then you delve into the characters, but made to what they are. And I think that very much now, if I, I mean, I'm not writing currently, but if and when I start again, it would probably be uh, another team kind of history um, where where it has to be the right team uh, as well. You know, Tyrrell was fascinating because they kept going up and down, up and down. They'd have terrible years. Then they'd come back and win or, you know, do well. Then they'd go back uh, bottom again. So you need the kind of team that would uh, keep your motivation going through rather than say, well, they were back at the grid, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I think now I could write about uh, a driver. I mean, I've, I've proven it, but I think more likely to be something of that team-esque uh, kind of approach. Yeah. So if uh, I wrote you a big check and you could take or, or go after any team, what would it be? Which team? I think if my, in, if my French was any good, I would jump at Ligier. Okay. Ligier were very much a similar kind of process. Uh, for those that don't remember them, uh, they kind of burst on the scene. Uh, they had a fantastic 1979. They won a couple of races. Uh, then it all kind of went downhill for a little bit. Then it went up when they got uh, sponsorship. Then it went down, etc., etc. And then, you know, they floated there or thereabouts, had some good years, and then suddenly they won again in 1996 uh, in Monaco uh, before being taken over by Alain Prost, which is another kind of interesting scope. But I think to do that justice, I would probably have to speak good enough French to get the mechanics point of view. And, my, you know, I want to kind of do the same approach, but I would certainly look forward to a good English language um, book about Ligia. I think, I think that'd be good. I suppose the other team aren't quite as successful as either Tier or Ligia, possibly Arrows, which, again, burst into the scene, but kind of didn't have that consistent up and down. But, you know, there, there are other teams. It doesn't have to be Formula One teams, obviously. You know, um, could be IndyCar teams. Uh, could be sports car team so you know there's there's plenty of scope out there i'm sure 
Gosh, that's interesting. Yeah, so Guy Liget, um, you think about some of the drivers that ran for him, some of the same drivers, uh, you know, Patrick DePaillet, Jackie X, yep. Pironi, Eddie Cheever. I mean, there's uh, yep. some interest, you know, Stefan Johansson, who I had as a guest on the show, he was an artist now, which yes. is pretty cool. Martin Brundle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, as well. And um, so I think there's probably about, the top of my head, probably about 10 drivers. I think there's a couple of other, um, there might be a couple, I think Jabari, uh, I know he's dead now. Jarry A, I think, also raced for Legio briefly as well. So there's there's definitely the same kind of contacts. But again, it's not the drivers I'm concerned about. To try and get that essence of Legio, I think I'd have to be. But, at front, but maybe, maybe um, it might have to be a joint project. Uh, you know, if there's somebody but, uh, from the French side who could do the interviews with mechanics, I'd do the rest, put it together. Um, I could do the writing and they could do the um, talking and we bind it together. Yeah. Who knows? That would be um, pretty That would be pretty cool. And I love your approach because I always say in a business, you know, don't talk to the managers. Talk to the people sweeping the floors, driving the trucks around, working on the loading docks. Those are the ones who really know what's going on. And one of the cars that stands out when I think about Leger is the uh, sponsor is Gatane's because I drove a Lola T290 that was Gatane's livery, uh, that beautiful blue, you know, with the dancing lady and um, yeah, they had a uh, a 1980 car that uh, had that beautiful... uh, Gatane's livery. So, all right. Very, very cool. Well, I'll get my uh, checkbook out. We'll get you going on that. That sounds like fun. Um, if if you could jump in any Tyrrell car and take it for some laps, which one would it be and what track would you go on? Well, I'm going to go for the P34 for this one. Okay. Because it is a unique car. Yeah, uh, six wheels, uh, four wheels at the front, two wheels at the back. Yeah, that's uh, wild not like any other car although the people that drove it said eventually you you forget um but it's got the six wheels it, it corners the same um track wise no that's a good one. i mean the p34 was not that good at places like monza hockenheim you know the high speed tracks but they're the ones with the kind of history um i i think I'd probably go for the P34, but I'm actually going to go for the old Nürburgring. Oh. <laughs> you know, which probably would end in disaster for myself um, and the car. I, I mean, I'm not a bad driver, but the Nürburgring is a, is another level altogether. Oh, but, gosh, um, yeah. But I think, I think I'd probably go for that. You know, give it, give it the ultimate challenge. Well, yeah, that is a challenge. First time I ever got to drive a car at that track, uh, it was sunny on one end and snowing on the other. <laughs> uh, I was in a E-Class Mercedes. I was in a rental car. Don't don't tell Hertz that I did that. It, it, it has its own ecosystem. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Yeah. Well, I was with a friend, and what we did was we had a map, and we played rally kind of driver. You know, you'd be going around, he'd say, you know, long left, sharp right, maybe. Uh, you know, it's like, okay. Cause it's hard to learn that track 
after just a, a few laps. I think we each did yeah. about 10 laps on it or something like that. But yeah, not many brakes left on that rental car when we we're done. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you've taken us on a wonderful drive and I can only do this and encourage you listeners, get your hands on this book titled Tyrrell, The Story of the Tyrrell Racing Organization, of course, by our guest today, Richard Jenkins. And I'll put a list of his other books that you really got to get your hands on if you don't have them yet. Richie Ginther, uh, Motor Racing's Freethinker, Mike Spence, Out of the Shadows. These are all wonderful books to have on your shelf. And I always tell people books make wonderful gifts. So in the new year, if you've got automotive buddies out there, buy them a book. And this book's going to keep you occupied because it is... (laughs) It is very, very huge. Before I let you go today, Richard, could you leave us with some, uh, maybe some parting words of inspiration for this new year that we have? I think, I, I can't remember what I said uh, three years ago, but I think it's probably something similar. But um, it would have to be never give up. Always just do your best. And like I say, just try and open the doors, but you can because you never really know where they lead. And sometimes, you know, one open door can lead to 20, 20 more. So, yeah, just keep going. Always keep going. Well, for a guy who has to do a lot of investigating, which is what you do when you put a book like this together, uh, those are certainly words to live by. And I'll tell you what you said last time you were here uh, in the world you must be oh so smart or oh so pleasant, uh, yeah. James Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, yeah. So that helps too, isn't it? I mean, I have to practice that. True. Yeah, pra- I polite uh, persistence. Yeah, I mean, it it goes a long way. Well, it goes. You know, you you don't get anywhere by being too clever, if that makes any sense. You know, you just you've got to have that humility. But yeah, I mean, a lot of what Jimmy, well, him and his scriptwriter said. <laughs> Uh, always made sense. I've just watched It's a Wonderful Life again over Christmas. And, you know, that's the things he says in that and the message that brings home as well is, you know, it, it brings back humanity rather than business and stuff like that. What What's more important is people. Well, absolutely. Um, I learned all this uh, last week on my Christmas show. I've been chasing Jay Leno for nine and a half years, and I finally got him. And he was my, my Christmas show. So, you know, just don't never give up. And those are the words of every race car driver that's ever been on this show, uh, for sure. I want to do a sh- another shout out to Judy Stropus once again. She got Richard and I back together. Judy is the maker of Friends. Judy, thank you very much. She's brought, oh, she's probably brought hundreds of guests here. So I appreciate that very much. Richard, I appreciate you taking a pit stop here. Uh, first days into the new year to share this wonderful new book about Ken Tyrrell and his team. Until you and I talk again in that next book, Lijek comes along. I'll see you down the road. All right. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much, Mark. You bet. Cheers. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!